Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. to the latest edition of the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. We are taping this just a few hours after the first CFP rankings have come out. Uh, Stu, I have one big question for you. Gary Barta is the CFP committee chair. He says he has great respect for Cincinnati, but really does he have Cincinnati or any respect for them at all? Great respect, and then he proceeds to pick a, to nitpick there that they let Tulane rush for too many yards on them. Um, I I really had no idea. I had a pretty good sense of some of the other things. Like I figured Alabama would be number two, and I figured Oklahoma would be lower than they are in the AP poll. But I just had no idea how they were going to handle Cincinnati. Um, number six, you could have told me ahead of time. I didn't think they'd be number two. I thought they could be anywhere from three to seven. Uh, they got a little bit boxed out, I think, by the Oregon-Ohio State situation, where the committee feels like they have to, you know, and rightfully so, have Oregon ahead of Ohio State. I don't know that I'd have Oregon ahead of Cincinnati if I was just comparing them head to head. But um, I agree with that yeah. because to me, the issue I had, given Gary Barta's comments, who have they played? Look, I think I think Ohio State's really talented. I've seen them in person. Who have they beaten, right? Their best win apparently is a is a Minnesota team that, by the way, lost to Bowling Green. They're a two loss team. It's not like they have great wins. And by the way, when they beat you know when they beat them week one, I think they were down to their first. You know, they were down one one running back, not not multiple. So I don't look at this as like wow, this is a great resume Ohio State has put together. And by the way, Ohio State lost at home to an Oregon team without its best player. Cincinnati hasn't lost to anybody. You can you can say Notre Dame's Notre Dame the winning beating Notre Dame in South Bend is much better than anything Ohio State has in their on on their resume. And then once you want to go drill a little deeper, it's not like Ohio State yet's resume. You know they have a Penn State win, which is pretty good, and they have a Minnesota win, which is pretty good. But but neither is is beating uh, Notre Dame in South Bend. 
Um, and again, they have a loss. So I just think the committee shows its disdain, never mind res- great respect, shows its disdain for all things group of five. And I think the way they set up some of the bottom of the top 25 was to kind of give some ra- give some cover to that, right? So I don't know. To me, I think they could have been ahead of this they being Cincinnati, could have been ahead of both Oregon and Ohio State if you don't want to separate the that combination. You're going to have Oregon right above Ohio State. Stick Cincinnati above them. But you know what? Um, I, I, this is a question I have for you. Like, Let's hold off on whether Ohio State will eventually leapfrog Oregon. But if Oregon wins out and Cincinnati wins out, and Cincinnati could play. They're going to play SMU. They could play a one-loss, likely a one-loss Houston team in the, in the AAC title game. Those teams have better chances of being ranked than whoever else that Oregon is going to play. And Oregon has one loss. I got it. They got a, they got a really good win. But to me, it feels like, like it's going to be hard for Cincinnati to overtake uh, a team if it's Oregon and somehow they go 12-1. and one. Do you agree? I don't think... Yeah, I don't... Teams are going to have to lose and just lose, you know, completely get out of the picture. Because I don't see how Cincinnati jumps those teams they have ranked ahead of them. And, and to your point, you know, we th- we went into today thinking they have a chance to, to win a couple more top 25 games in SMU and Houston. The committee apparently doesn't think SMU and Houston are top 25 teams. They do think Wisconsin is. They do think Minnesota, who lost at home to Bowling Green, is not is a top 20 team, but not SMU. They don't have UTSA ranked at all. UTSA is 16th in the um, AP poll. I don't think, I'm sure everybody has their conspiracy theories. I don't think this group of 13 people, which include, which is such a random group of people too. It's not like these are all, you know, they're not television executives. They're not all um, familiar face ADs or sitting in a room going, how do we screw over the group of five? I just think that so much of what they do I mean, then they're basically at the end of the day. What are they doing in there? They are ranking the teams that that they feel did the best against relative to their strength of schedule. And nobody could put Cincinnati's schedule up next to these other teams that we're talking about and say Cincinnati's schedule is better. In fact, just tonight in Maction action, Maction action, Maction, Miami of Ohio lost to Ohio, who's one and seven. Not a big deal, right? Except in doing so. Miami of Ohio fell to four and five, and that was one of Cincinnati's three wins over teams that are five hundred. So they're just they're holding these teams accountable for their strength of schedule, and it's just not possible in a group of five league to put that to have that kind of schedule. Now, I I again I thought it very curious that Gary Barta he made a really big deal out of, um, and we talked about this I think on Sunday. He he was really. Uh, Critical of the Bearcats not putting away Navy and Tulane sooner. Um, he made some comment about how Tulane was able to run the ball on them. And I'm thinking, you know, yeah, look, they didn't they didn't play great against those teams, but Oregon didn't play great against Stanford. They lost. They didn't play great against Cal, three and five Cal, one and five at the time, I believe, and almost lost. And yet that doesn't come up. It's like if you're a group of five, if you're a power five team, you can have off weeks. 
But if you're a group of five team, you have to beat everybody 52 to three, or you don't get the benefit of the doubt. By the way, um, look, I don't want to be disparaging. I think Michigan State's one of the best stories in college football right now. They had their hands full of some really bad teams this year, right? Mm-hmm. Now, they beat Michigan. They were home. That's a really good win. But you look at, you know, you want to say uh, putting away teams. I mean, hang on a second. I want to rattle a few off to you, and you tell me, you know, if, if this is like – I feel like it's easy to kind of poke holes in – a lot of the stuff that whoever the committee chair is, the thing I, I, that stands out to me about Gary Barda, and I thought this before, was he will do this thing where he will be like, we have great respect for this, and then he will take a <laughs> dump on whoever he's doing or whatever. It's like he has great respect for these teams that that you know get, get kind of snubbed. It feels like it's like, yeah, he has it, – it, it's almost like, yeah, he has the same great respect that Susie has for Larry on curb. You know, it's like there's no, no. – you know, it's like you're kind of seeing – you know, you can say one thing, but your actions say another. So as we go through this, um, so Michigan State, again, they beat Miami soundly on the road. Miami's 4-4. Four and four. They had their hands full of Nebraska. They should have lost that game or could have lost that game. They won 23-20. They barely beat Indiana. By the way, Cincinnati beat them a lot worse. Um, and they've just beat Michigan. It's not like they've been dominating teams either. Now, their their schedule is stronger because they're probably more mid-level teams. But aside from Michigan, what are we giving, you know, what are we saying Michigan State, who's undefeated, you know, their resume? It's at, you know, IU, they're really bad. At Rutgers, they're pretty mediocre. Western Michigan. Nebraska, who they barely Miami, beat. Miami, right? Isn't Miami their, their second best win? It is. And Miami's 4-4. Four and four. Yeah. If you're wondering why, you know, again, I don't want to do Miami is like their fifth or sixth best win. Like, I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to disparage Michigan State, but to make this point, it's like the stuff that, you know, Gary Barta speaking for the committee says. And, you know, it's weird. Like, I, I mean, I watch this stuff. I don't have a dog in any of these fights. You know, I just want to see the best, you know, the best uh, matchups. I have no, certainly no connection to Cincinnati. If I was a Cincinnati fan, I'd be so disgusted by the CFP. I don't even know if I'd watch this show anymore. Right. Especially, you know, like, and we like the guys on ESPN, but they like draw this thing out so long. And then you're kind of, kind of just scratching your head at this. It's just like, what, what next? Um, just feels, and look, we know that we've been through this. The first committee rankings don't matter particularly much. We get outraged by a lot of stuff. And I was like, I'm not going to get sucked into this. And then I'm watching this, and I'm like, eh, this sucks. You can't not get sucked. I think because the Cincinnati situation is so unique, and everybody's waiting to see how that how that. And I knew if they weren't in the top four, a lot of our sports writer friends were going to lose their shit. To be perfectly honest, and they did. Um, I so I want to give people a window into something. David Ubbin, uh from the Athletic, he went to the mock playoff committee i think you did that one year right i did i did it i did it a long time ago i did it a long time ago too he came back with something though that i wasn't familiar with they gave they basically handed them a a list of the stats these are analytic type stats that the committee basically and he wrote this in his article that when they're comparing two teams resumes these particular stats pop up and he's like it's really eye-opening when you see them next to each other so I'm not going to bore people with all of them, but just one example. Relative scoring offense. So, if, for example, if a team scores 35 points against a team, let's say let's say Cincinnati scores 35 points against a team that normally allows 28.0 points per game, it would have a 
125% relative scoring offense. So our research guru, Jason Starrett, I showed him that thing and I said, can you calculate this? Can you come up with these rankings? And he did. Michigan State and Cincinnati have almost identical numbers in this. Um, so now neither of them are anywhere near Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, frankly, in these point differentials and yard differentials and whatnot. Michigan State and Cincinnati are basically identical. And so I think it's simply a matter of the, the Michigan game just happened. If Cincinnati had beaten Notre Dame this past weekend and Michigan State-Michigan was in week two, they'd probably be reversed, don't you think? Hmm. Yeah, I do wonder how much recency bias and just yeah. like what was the last taste in your mouth. Like I, I thought about this a little bit over the weekend. You know, I mean, I am really, really impressed by Georgia. And I, I think, you know, they played the bowl game last year against Cincinnati. And Cincinnati did not look out. You know, like, again, it's a bowl game. You know, it's not a, it wasn't a playoff game. But that game was was basically a toss-up, right? And Cincinnati was playing without All-American cornerback, you know, Sauce Gardner. They were playing without James Wiggins, who's a big-time player, and their, you know, their starting running back. I, and I wonder if they had won that game, would would the committee have give? Would they give them inherently a little more benefit? I mean, it's a. I think point, so, but I feel like those things do not happen in a vacuum at all. You know, it's like as much as they say it's like we're just evaluating it this year. It's like you can't get the you know that feeling out of out of your mind. You know, it's like like I think still people even if you saw Oregon really handle Ohio State. I would say, unless you're an Oregon fan, you know, 90% of the people out there think if they played 10 times that right now, Ohio State would win nine of them, at least, you know, and it's just like, so I, again, I think perception's a hard thing. And if I was a Cincinnati fan, like I said, I'd be disgusted and I'd be like, they're going to screw us no matter what we do. We're going to keep winning and they're going to screw us. Well, all that being said, it's not, they're not out. They're, there's not, it's not like there isn't a path for them to make it. Alabama and Georgia are going to play each other, we think. Uh, and you think if Alabama loses that game, what happens if Alabama loses and it, like Georgia beats, you know, comes back to win in the fourth quarter? Yeah. You really think a two-loss Alabama is going to drop out of the top four? I wouldn't. I don't think so. Based on what we heard uh, tonight, no, I don't think so. I think there are will... five SEC West teams in the top seventeen. Yeah, Leach is in the top seventeen. So you're saying let's so Alabama loses that game, let's say like they did to A and M on a last-second field goal, and so they're eleven and two with two last-second losses to teams that are ranked. One will be ranked number one, and the other will be ranked by then. If AM keeps winning, they can be ranked, like, seventh or eighth by then. By the way, and they're going to, uh, you know, at some point, like, they still have Auburn left. Auburn is in the top 15. Yeah. So they still have some meat left. Well, I think what Cincinnati not- needs is for Alabama to lose to Auburn. They, you know, to have, to go into the even if they do go to the SEC championship game, to go in it with, didn't one of the long. guys on the on the ESPN show tonight basically say if Auburn wins out, they're going and they're thirteen? I mean, that doesn't mean it's like it was yeah, like, yeah, that's no, the gospel, they would. But Auburn controls its destiny, but I don't think they can get in the playoff. Well, no, they, they were saying Georgia, I suppose. Yeah, they would be Georgia and Alabama. No, I'm saying Cincinnati wants Georgia to win out, go thirteen and zero, and be the SEC's only team. However, that has to happen. Um, the interesting, the thing, the one bit of good news for Cincinnati is that they are already ahead of an undefeated Big 12 team. I and don't think that I don't think this is going to hold up still. Oklahoma? 
Yeah, if Oklahoma wins, they're going to play Baylor, who's a top 15 team. They're going to play them on the road. They're going to play Iowa State, who at least is, will be a decent win. It may be a they may be a seven and five team, but it's not going to be you know it's something. And then they're going to play Bedlam on the road at Oklahoma State, another top fifteen team. And then yeah, they're going to have to play another one. I so don't want to probably three. I want to be clear. 15. Oklahoma goes thirteen and zero. They're going to the playoff. No question. Okay. Asked. Okay. The question is whether it's them or Oklahoma State or Baylor. If if they are a twelve and one Big Twelve champ, are they necessarily guaranteed to pass Cincinnati? I wonder if, let's say, you know, I, I think Baylor probably has, if I were to rank the odds of the teams to make it, you know, to win out of the Big 12, I think I would say Oklahoma, you know, I probably, I'm probably 40% confident they'll do it. I'm probably 25% confident Baylor can do it. I'm probably 10% confident uh, Oklahoma State can do it. Um and I think if if Baylor goes on and 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 beats Oklahoma, it would you know maybe have to beat them twice. I think they would leapfrog Cincinnati. Oklahoma actually has the toughest road. Um, Oklahoma State and Baylor have already played each other, and they have both played Iowa State already. Um, Oklahoma. So I mean, look, the committee basically came out and said we don't think Oklahoma is very good. They have them behind Michigan. One lost Michigan as well. They're number eight. These metrics I was talking about earlier, once I saw them, I was like, oh, yeah, Oklahoma is not going to be very high. They're, well, here's the problem they're, Oklahoma they're, they're, has. Their, their numbers yeah. are not even that great for uh, – uh, first of all, they have no top 25 wins. I mean, they struggle with Tulane. They struggle with Nebraska. They struggle with West Virginia. They you know, they barely beat K-State, which is probably their, their best win. They struggled with Kansas. I mean, yeah, they blew out TCU and they just blew out Texas Tech, but both those schools have basically run their coaches out. So it's like, unless they kick it into high gear, and look, these will be the three best wins they have on the schedule if they can get them and yeah. then the Big 12 title game. But whether you believe in Oklahoma now is a different story. Whether you think they're, you know, if I was an Oklahoma fan, I'd be like, eh, you know what? I expect to be, if we handle our business, we will leapfrog a bunch of schools. And if we don't, we don't deserve to. Yeah, I wouldn't be too worried about it if I'm Oklahoma. I mean, they, I mean, I might be worried whether we can actually win the games, but whether they can get into the top four, they will if they win the games. And what Oklahoma has done was they're nine and zero. They've for all their flaws, for all the close calls, they've managed to stay undefeated to this point. Where, and we've seen it before, a team. There are teams that get a lot better at the end of the year. I'm thinking of 2014 Ohio State in particular. If Oklahoma, after a week off and with Caleb Williams getting more experience, just plays a lot better football, especially in defense, which is what Gary Barter was criticizing them for. Um, you know, they can they can do that. So. It's not, but look, Cincinnati basically needs everything to go. It's exactly like we said even before the season. They need to beat Notre Dame. They need Notre Dame to uh, hopefully run the table from there. They needed a couple top 25 teams to emerge from their conference. And I do think Houston or SMU will probably get there before the end of the season. Um, And then you need other conferences to just bow. You need Oregon to lose. And Oregon could definitely lose to Oregon State or Utah or somebody. And then the Pac-12 is out. And if we, I, I think if as soon as Wake Forest loses a game, the ACC is out. And now, you're, you know, now the field is starting to clear up a little bit. But, you, you know, I think you made a good point. Their problem is going to be if two SEC teams make it. Or, you know, nobody really talks about this one. But if, if Iowa State, let's say, beats Michigan State 
by a field goal. This is the question I wanted to get to. Okay, go ahead. So there's a team that I almost like forgot about, and I was like, whoa, they're sitting there in a decent spot. Um, there's an elephant in the room in this because Michigan has not beaten Ohio State ever, or at least in the you know in the recent history. So let's say if if Michigan does win that game and then they somehow manage to like because I think that's obviously the hardest game left on their schedule. I don't think the Big Twelve title game. I'm not saying that they're better than whoever's going to come out of the West, but I don't feel particularly strong about right now the Big Ten West. So if they were to win out and Michigan State were to lose to Ohio State, who goes to the Big Ten title like, game? Yeah, because they would each have one I conference mean, did loss. did you really have to ask me that on the spot? I don't know the answer off the top of my head. I have to go looking up Big Ten tiebreaker scenarios. Because you would have each you, It team. would be like the 2008 Big 12 South, right? Wouldn't they be... I would they, think Ohio State because they have two losses, even though one is not in conference. But I don't know their policy. I don't remember it. I think you're right. I think because Ohio State has the extra loss, they would bow out. And then it would be Michigan State, Michigan... And Michigan State would hold that tiebreaker. And so you're saying, what happens if, if then Michigan's sitting there at 11-1 and one with a win over Ohio State? Yes. I mean, I think, you know, and then you're sitting there wondering, okay, does if Michigan State gets knocked off, is Michigan at 11-1 and one with a win over Ohio State? And, not you know, honestly, not much else great, you know, on their resume. But it would be like, you know, what you just said, the last – you know, one of the last impressions, are they a potential playoff team with that? Yeah, I think I, I was thinking more of the Michigan State loses to Ohio State, but that's their only loss example. But I actually think yours is better uh, because Michigan would have a big, you know, they would basically have, and first of all, they also play Penn State between now and then. I know they're no longer ranked, but, you know, so they beat them, they beat Ohio State, they beat somebody ranked in the big time. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I think it's. I mean, I think it's something that needs to be discussed as a possibility if we're talking about that Georgia Alabama scenario. Um, why would we not talk about the possibility of two Big Ten teams? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Uh, also, while we're at it, just because I, I think it's worth just throwing out there, if Wake Forest, a, a Power 5 team, ends up 13-0, and Cincinnati... State goes to thirteen and zero. You think there's any chance Wake Forest is leapfrogging them? They would have no good win. I just find it hard to believe that a thirteen and zero Power Five champ would be left out. I really do. But their but their resume 
you know, they would have no win that would match up with the Notre Dame on the road win. Now, they would have better, probably more quality wins just because I think there are, you know, at least a number of decent teams. Well, if there's one the thing age. we learned tonight, it's that the committee... Shit's all over Cincinnati. No, it's That's that they can learned. make up the bottom of the rankings any way they want, right? Yeah, that is true, yeah. You know, it's funny because they'll sit there and they'll say, oh, you know... Uh, Mississippi State, we had to include Mississippi State because they have three top 25 wins. Well, who decided that NC State was top 25 team? Well, we did, right? So which comes first? I've always I've always found that to be. I think that they go from top to bottom. So by the time they get to NC State or Mississippi State, they already know where they're going to rank Alabama, right? So you can kind of, I don't want to be full on conspiracy, but you can kind of tailor the bottom of those rankings to justify whatever you want. For instance, okay, NC State's ranked now. Wake's got to play them. Pitt is ranked now. They might play them in the ACC title game. My guess is they would somehow figure out a way to come out of it with more top 25 wins than Cincinnati. Yeah, that would be something. Um, By the way, this tiebreaker is confusing as heck. Yeah. So I've made it to, we're all the way down to step four. The records of three or more teams will be compared based on Winning percentage against all common conference opponents. Well, I guess their winning percentage would be a thousand. Winning percentage against all. Yeah, common look, opponents? eventually it gets to team with best overall winning percentage. So Ohio State would get tossed out in that. Okay, so then it just goes to head to head. Yeah, I'm just astounded about Minnesota. They he couldn't even really come up with a good explanation why he said like, oh, you know, they've overcome a lot of adversity losing all those running backs, you know, to get to six and two and like, okay, yeah, they, that's true. They, in fact, they lost another one this week, but, um, since that Bowling Green game, the teams they've beaten are at Purdue 20 to 13, Nebraska 30 to 23, Maryland 34 to 16 and at Northwestern 41, 14. That's dregs. It's dregs and they're ranked 20th. Yeah. I don't know about that. That's. Like you said, I think they're they're doing the math to justify who can we you know shoehorn in there. Now they did put Fresno State and San Diego State in there, so good for the Mountain West. Who's the Power Six now? And I think, but I think that's as simple as they each have a Power Five win. Yeah, you know who else really took a beating in this? Michael Resco. Yeah, well, he came out swinging <laughs> because of it. <laughs> Um, he did, uh, not only, not, I think more so the fact that there's, that he only has one team in it. More and so there, yeah, there's, look, I think Fre- I, we've been talking about Fresno a lot this year. I mean, a decent amount on, on our podcast. I think Fresno is really good. By the mm-hmm. way, that's good for Oregon that they're in there, but I, I think Fresno is really good. Again, not to be a conspiracy theorist, but do they put Fresno in there to be able to say that Oregon has two top 25 wins? Mm, I don't know. Um, Maybe so. Like, who do you think should have been in the top 25 beyond UTSA sitting there at 16 in the Ralph Russo pool? I don't even know if I can honestly say with a straight face UTSA when your best win is Illinois. Um, I mean, shoot, Penn State's not in the rankings, presumably because they lost to Illinois. I do think um, SMU should be in there. They beat. They do have well, a power why would, five. Why would, Houston, why would Houston not be in there then? They beat SMU. Yeah, but Houston lost to Texas Tech, 
who's not even one of the better teams in the Big Yeah, 12. but that was a that was a while ago. I mean, they just beat. I'm I, saying I that it they're... seems like their criteria for including a Group of Five team is they have to have beaten a Power Five team, and SMU did beat TCU. TCU is terrible this year. So you're so what's your answer to the question? I you know. My answer would probably be to stick UTSA in there. Okay. Um, you know, I'll be honest. I was surprised Wisconsin in there. That one surprised. Like, Minnesota and Wisconsin surprised me. Because if you look, Wisconsin was just annihilated by Notre Dame and, and Michigan. And we're, you know, look, they, they thumped Iowa. But, you know, what else are we looking at? Army's really, you know, Army's, you're not going to get a ton of points from them. They they whipped Illinois, but Illinois is pretty down. Um, I don't know, and they have they're a three loss team. That's that's the thing that you know kind of. It's not. Look, we are at the point in the season where three loss team. I mean, it may seem jarring that there's three loss teams in there this week. There'll be a bunch of them by next week. I mean, it's it that Mississippi State is is like 29th in the AP poll, and and they're 17th in the committee. And on the one hand, it's like. Hey, they're the only team in the whole thing that has three top twenty-five wins, including A and M, who's turned out to be pretty yeah. good. So okay, and and by the way, they beat Kentucky handily. Now I wonder that won them a lot of the points call. with the committee. Did did they, did this at all come up? You know, in the committee's rationale, man, Leach really got kind of fucked by Memphis in the, in the officiating. Remember that was that yes, game. That, that was, is quite possible. I mean, they they talk about stuff like that. They may say like. Yeah, they lost to Memphis, but it was under dubious circumstances. But they also lost to a, you know, a, a frank, frankly bad LSU team. They lost forty-nine to nine to Alabama. I, I not, I would not have expected to see them. I would, I wouldn't have been surprised if they were low top twenty-five. I would not have expected them to be seventeenth. Maybe it's the committee's subtle way of going. Hey, Leach, don't be tempted to go back to Lubbock. You won't get this kind of treatment in the Big Twelve. <laughs> No, you will not. But, uh, you know, I think you're right. I think the fact that they start out with five five uh, SEC West teams in the top 17 is kind of setting it up for Alabama, isn't it? You know, I, I was just saying that. I, I th- I'm thinking, like, I would I respect the committee, I think. I should think this through. If they actually looked at Louisiana Tech's, that, I'm sorry, the Memphis game, and be like, yeah, that was an awful call. It was like a game-changing call that got really screwed up. We're gonna—I'm not gonna say we're gonna just in our minds we're gonna look at them as six and two as opposed to five and three. I do think they kind of do that sometimes. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they looked at if they discounted the Oregon Stanford loss and said, "Well, the OC ended up in the hospital the night before the game." And I think that's a little. I think that's a little different than there was such a bad call that was like that. That would have changed the game. I'm sure like Memphis fans could say, yeah, but there was like three other bad calls that you're not talking about that you probably forgot or didn't see. They'll give they they can they can give out mulligan. Remember, I'm all the one to me that's always the ultimate like we'll give you a free pass. Um was Syri- Clemson losing to Syracuse when Kelly Bryant got hurt. Uh but that's not the same to me that's not the same thing if a player's hurt versus like if it's just like operator error, where it's just a really, you know, just a bogus call that was obviously missed. You're, you know, saying, they you're saying that should be treated more egregiously. Yes. I mean, there was that play, like, Memphis might have had, like, six guys wearing the same jersey. You know, it was like... It was like 
Yeah, no, I hear you. I'm just saying they 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 treated that. If Syracuse ended up going four and eight that year, and they treated that as if it never happened. Um, I do if, even eight years into this, I'm not sure if people fully realize how much. Like people who are going there, sitting there, going, "How on earth can Alabama be number?" It's like it's like that A&M loss never happened. Well, they kind of treat a lot of those losses like they never happened. They are much more much more concerned about who you beat, and that's Mississippi State in a nutshell. Yeah, they got some questionable losses, but they beat three top twenty-five teams. Yeah, NC State's a, NC State's a pretty good win, you know. So, like, yeah, put that on there. And by the way, those wins, the NC State win was handily, and obviously Kentucky was was too. So, you know, maybe we shouldn't have been so shocked. Yeah, you got to remember that wins matter more than losses, and and with Alabama in particular, you know, they can now say they have two lopsided top twenty-five wins. They have five wins over teams 500 or better five power five teams are 500 or better and the loss which seemed so crazy at the time now just looks like oh they went on the road in the sec at night and lost on a last second field goal to a top 15 team i think for the committee that's a completely excusable thing all right do you want to get to the mailbag get to the mailbag uh as always send your questions or comments to the audible pod at gmail.com let me start with this one because i think it's directed to you from jaron gregory in indiana i think it's jaron not jaron but we'll see uh in the last episode Stu mentions quote the diminished state of the big 12 diminished (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay In the last episode, Stu mentions the, quote, diminished stature of the Big 12, end quote. Obviously, the brands and money associated with Oklahoma and Texas are irreplaceable, but on-field product is a different story. Currently, the new Big 12 has five teams in the AP poll, which ties the Big 10 for the second most, not to mention Cincinnati is ranked ahead of Oklahoma. As Texas continues to be mediocre, can an argument be made that the Big 12 is getting stronger overall? I don't think a conference without Oklahoma is getting stronger overall when you consider, I mean, they're 9-0 and and, and they're quote-unquote only ranked 8th, but this is a team that's been in the playoff discussion every single year for all these years and has this great history going back decades. So it's not like the teams they're bringing in are actually, you know, you could say in any with a straight face are replacing Oklahoma. That being said... It is still going to be a pretty good conference, and tonight's a great example of that, where you've got two of the, the new teams are ranked in the top 15 of the uh, of the committee rankings, and also two schools that are not leaving for uh, the SEC, Baylor and Oklahoma State, are ranked, are ranked very high despite having not yet even played Oklahoma. So they, they have that credibility on their own. So I've always said, I don't know, since the summer, what I've often said is, the hit to the Big 12's reputation is going to come primarily from a business standpoint in terms of yeah. the amount of TV star power and lose yeah. whatnot. Not so much on field, I don't think. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I think it's the, the wattage of Oklahoma and Texas as brands, right? It's not just, you know, I think as as he writes, it's not just the two that were in the rankings tonight. I mean, Houston is 20 in the ap right now and we could both argue that they should have been one of the top 25 and it's not like ucf i mean this hasn't been one of their best years but it's not like ucf is a terrible program right now so uh that's you know look i think bowlsby did about as well as he could do in the face of all that now those programs are going to have to i mean in the wake of gary patterson's uh ouster 
you know, it's worth noting that that's an example of a program that went from group of five to the big 12 and has not, with the exception of one season, that's not been as good. So I do think they have to, they're going to have to recruit better uh, to than they do now to get that kind of depth that you need to, to compete at that level. But they all, all those programs have the ability to do that. Hey, let's take an opportunity. So this, cause this happened, Gary Patterson news happened a few hours after, uh, after our last episode. Uh, neither one of us are particularly surprised that it happened given the way things were turning. Um, and yet, um, this is a program I've spent a lot of time around. I probably did as many TCU games as I think any other program since I was a sideline reporter. It will be very bizarre to me to be around that program and him not be there because he is such a big presence. He's a unique figure. Um, he's obviously been a, you know, a tremendous coach, six top 10 seasons there. They wouldn't be in the big 12 without him. So, and I don't, I don't want to eulogize him here either, but um, if I told you like back in the summer, Gary Patterson's going to be out, going to be kind of pushed out the door, maybe not in the middle of the season, but at, at the end of the season, how surprised would no, you be? No, that, that's a key thing you meant, said. Like you said at the beginning, I don't think either of us were that surprised. That's not entirely true. I, I knew it was trending in the wrong direction, and I figured there could be a change coming at the end of the season. But no, it would never have dawned on me until the week of that the guy's got a statue outside the stadium. The guy is TCU football, rough few years or not, that they would fire him before the season's over. And I know that they said, oh, you had the option to stay on, but this couldn't have waited till the end of the season. We had to fire him now, which I assume they're doing in part because Texas Tech just opened and they're going to be you know, competing for some of the same candidates. So, no, I would never have imagined. I mean, you remember how um, when Bill Snyder was breaching the end of Kansas State, Bobby Bowden at Florida State, like these situations are always so awkward. You want to show the guy the respect. TCU just kind of took the approach of, look, it's gotten too bad to keep you going. Just keep this going. We just got to we just got to pull the plug. We'll let you stay. That's how we'll honor you. And he's like, nope, sorry. Although he did show up for work the next day. So, the way it ended is definitely uh, not, I don't think, befitting of a guy who's accomplished what he's accomplished there. Yeah, it's it's it'll you know it'll kind of be fascinating to see what his next move is. Does he end up at as you know an SEC defensive coordinator at some you know heavyweight program? How how will he fit in as not the head coach and not the boss? Because man, that's him. Well, what so. do you think? Do you think he'd rather be? And I do th- I do think he'll coach. I don't. I don't think he's he's going to pull a Bob Stoops. Um, would he rather be the head coach at Texas State uh, or a coordinator in the SEC? I think he would. Now he doesn't need the money, but I think he would. I, my guess is he would. He would be interested in be somebody's defensive coordinator at that level. I mean, he was so hands-on before as a defensive coordinator for so long, and he is really good at it. Um, man, if he just was focusing on defense and not running a program, he'd be a huge pain in the ass for whoever he has to play. Might I, be a huge pain in the ass for whoever else is in that building. If he puts the word out, like I don't think Power 5 schools necessarily are going to be interested in him as a head coach. 
anybody can look at their record the last four years and be like, yeah, we're not getting uh, vintage Gary Patterson here. If you were if you were in Lubbock, I'm, I got to think this one through. But like, <laughs> the thoughts occurred to me, you, but but I don't know, I don't know what would make you think that's going to work given how much he struggled in that. In you're in the same conference, yeah, that he's struggled in for the last four years, and frankly. With the exception of the Trevon Boykin era, he struggled in it a lot. So, now that being said, you remember the year Will Muschamp got fu- the year between there was like one season, right, between when Mil- Will Muschamp got fired at Florida and got the head job at South Carolina, where the entire SEC tried to hire him as their defensive coordinator. He had his yeah. pick. He ended up picking Auburn. That's what would happen if Gary Patterson makes it known he wants to be a defensive coordinator. Yeah, look, I think he's going to have some some interesting options. And again, uh, what's different about him than, like, certainly, I know you're not trying to say this, but Muschamp is, Muschamp wasn't a head coach that long at that point, right? right? And whereas, man, he's been that way for over 20 years. I mean, next to Kirk Ferentz, he's the longest tenured head coach. And he is such a, such a strong personality. I mean, like... Yeah, most head coaches would not even entertain going back to being an assistant after they've been a head coach for that long. But it's funny that we both have the same thought of like, yeah, I bet he'd be really happy doing that. He would look. He's he's said he doesn't hate. He kind of hates nil and a lot of things you got to do to recruit these days. Not that you don't have to recruit if you're the DC, but it's not it's not all you. So uh, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see. I don't think we've seen the last of him in college coaching. I know he's got his music career now, but I don't know that he's ready to do that full time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, here, Bruce, you you wrote, you and um, Alan Taylor uh, wrote a really interesting story about Dan Mullen in Florida and all these um, opposing coaches anonymously giving their thoughts about what's gone wrong there. And then... As if he, as if he just wanted to help you promote your article, he went <laughs> to his Monday press conference <laughs> and said he's not going to talk about recruiting during the season. Anyway, it was it was the video on that that made it look so bad. Like for like, it's like when the word recruiting comes up, his like face drops, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like he gets so dismissive and he's shaky. It's he knew like, it was and, coming. He knew he was, there was an insinuation that he's not a good recruiter, and he was shutting it down. 
And then he shut down all media that week, or as Andy Stables put it in his column, described it as a hissy fit, which is something really I, don't is. Any, I don't think any head football coach yeah. anywhere wants to describe being doing a hissy fit. When you shut down, it, it, coaches don't shut down media access because things are going well. Let's put it that way. But hey, Ed McAvoy might have a solution. As I'm sitting here, he actually wrote this before the UF Georgia game, texting a friend about UF's recruiting and coaching performance during the Mullen tenure, and it occurred to me that Mullen could have the opportunity to get the band back together from Urban Meyer's original staff. Word around North Florida is it wouldn't take much effort to get Charlie Strong out of Jacksonville, and it's easy to see Adazio, a good offensive line coach, get cut loose from Colorado State. This would buy Mullen a lot of goodwill with the fan base. Any thoughts? So by, this is by Colorado State a lot of goodwill with the fan base if they cut him <laughs> loose. Um, you keep, so tra- you, you know, I, you think that's the worst hire has ever been made, and I'm not sure I disagree with you. But you know, they actually have a winning record. Do you not like? So, I was just on. Um, I'm working on a story about Senior Bowl recruiting process. They have a, they have talent. They have like a first round tight end who's like one of the best players in college football. This is not a team that should be this bad or it should be this mediocre. That's all I'm saying. Trey McBride is a like Trey McBride might start in every program in college football. I have to uh, correct myself. They do not have a winning record. They are three and five. I don't know why I thought that. Three okay. and five. Well, they yeah. lost to South Dakota State, Vanderbilt. Uh, They've got blown out by South Dakota State, by the way. South Dakota State's an FCS program. They lost by 20. Vanderbilt, they beat defending I don't know if Mountain they beat. West champion San Jose State 32 to 14, though. Um, they found a way to, they found a spectacular way to lose at Utah spectacular State. Spectacular way to lose at Utah State, and then they just lost uh, 28 to 19 to Boise State. In a game they were up thirteen to nothing at in the first half. In a game that Adazio had to coach by Zoom, is that right? No, he was up in the he was up in the press box, and then I think he came down in the fourth quarter, and that's when things started to turn. I don't know. Anyway, can, what do you think? Does should Mullen go? I mean, he definitely needs to fire Todd Grantham. Can he bring? Can he get Charlie Strong in there? You know, Charlie Strong was just in the news because USF on his watch got hammered by the NCA um, for I think going over the 20 hour rule and for assistant, you know, there's a lot of compliance related stuff of lack of institutional control. I believe um, I don't know how that would work. Um, you know, things have not been great for anybody in Jacksonville related to that football program at this point. So, but Charlie I do Strong think does face a one game suspension from the NCAA if he returns to the college ranks before the end of the 2022 season. That might, that might go that idea. Well, so here's where I think if Dan Mullen's able to keep his job and it is, it is getting dicier, I think by the week. Um, if he is able, and if that means if they run the table, they're going to have, they have four opponents. None of them are particularly good. It's Missouri, South Carolina, I think Samford and FSU. I th- there's a, I think there's a pretty good chance he'll keep his job, but he may have to make big staff changes. If he, if he stubs his toe in one of those games, I think all bets are off. Cause I think it's hard for them to sell. Recruiting's not going great. You're talking about, you know, we know in detail now what some of the issues are. I don't know if just adding on coaches. Maybe who would maybe Charlie Charlie Strong would feel like an upgrade as a defensive coordinator compared to what they, they should have win right the now, last four games. If it's they really should, they the should. Only, it's 
those are all bad teams, including Florida State. So I think they should have beaten LSU. I think if though, they finish too. eight and four for the second year in a row, some of this angst dies down a little bit. You actually think, let's say eight, that just one loss to finish seven and five could mean the difference between him coming back next year or not. I suspect that is the case. If they lose to Florida State, as mediocre as this Florida State team is, right now, I don't know what he does for the rest of the year on the field that gives the fans in Florida, yeah, he's got the program headed in the right direction. I don't know how you watch what has gone on there in the last year. By the way, he still has a show cause, right? So it's not like things have been going great off the field. They've lost a bunch of their commitments and that was before they lost to Georgia to, you know, to drop to four and four. I mean, again, the record in their last nine games against power five opponents is two and seven. That should never happen. All right, I'm going to play a devil's advocate here. Um, okay. You want Urban back? No. They just tried that. This is Mullen was basically the 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 the. the, the De facto bring Urban but back. But he's yeah. not. He's not Urban. Urban is a recruiting I just want to know how animal. long we can continue, they can continue this cycle of they go, they, they've been chasing, it's kind of like USC's been in this cycle of a new coach every three to four years for a long time. And Mullen's the first one that actually gave them reason to feel good about themselves. Like he had a good first three seasons. They finished top 10 the first two and I think 11th or 12th last year. So to go from that to we're going to fire him for going seven and five, it just feels like perpetuates this cycle. I also think that this is a very, very the way, crowded uh, uh, coaching carousel already. So if there's if there's any ambivalence, do you say let's not compete head to head with USC and LSU and whoever else might come open here and? Uh, See if we can make it work for another year. And if it doesn't, you know, probably going to be less crowded space next year. No, yeah, maybe. I mean, here's the thing to keep in mind. Like, McIlwain actually, I think, won the SEC East. He did, twice, but they right? were like, everybody knew those weren't good teams. Yeah, they weren't. Um, but here's the challenge now. Like, you, if you're Florida, yeah, Georgia is loaded. But Miami is rebuilding. Florida State has is, is been in a mired in a big rebuild. And Tennessee, who used to be your big rival, you know, still is a rival, they've been rebuilding, right? So it's like, you know, in the state of Florida, you should be, you sh- you should be thriving, right? So I don't know. Like, I mean, this is a separate question, but the, the dynamics in the state of Florida, you know, right about now or in the month of November are going to be fascinating because I think people wrote off Manny Diaz it's not far from writing off Mike Norvell and now Florida, which if you come off the, the Alabama game, you're all of a sudden thinking, Hey, Florida has a chance, you know, is, is, should be riding high. It doesn't really feel like that. Funny you bring up Manny Diaz. I don't know if you've noticed this. Well, first of all, Manny Navarro, our Miami beat writer with an interesting report on a Tuesday that basically the administration has decided they don't want to make a change during the season. So he's probably good for the rest of the season. And then it's like, okay, this team that was two and four and seemingly hopeless, they beat Pitt, the leader in their division. First, they beat NC State, who the committee thinks is great. Then they beat Pitt, who the committee also has ranked. Their last four are Georgia Tech, not good. Florida State, not good. Virginia Tech, mediocre. Duke, terrible. I mean, it's not inconceivable. They run the table. 
No, it's not. I mean, like in that, and I've watched both of those games, um, Tyler Van Dyke, a freshman quarterback, who I think if you'd got truth serum on a lot of people in that program, they would have said, eh, he's probably our third best option at quarterback a month ago. They would have said, obviously, De'Ara King and then Jake Garcia. Well, both guys got hurt. Tyler Van Dyke took a minute to get his kind of sea legs in, and he has been spectacular. And by the way, those are, you know, NC State has a pretty good defense, and they, you know, he outshined Kenny Pickett last week. Um, And they're doing it without a lot of guys, right? I mean, they have some of their best players are banged up. And I think, you know, what's interesting is about three weeks ago, I think the feeling for a lot of people was Blake James is going to have to fire Manny Diaz. And if Manny Diaz team quits on him, which they didn't even when, you know, they had a rough one with UVA and then at North Carolina, but they turned out, I think they were both games. They lost by a combined five points before they went on this little run um, or mini run. But I think realistically talking to some of the same people that I think Manny Navarro had talked to, I think there's this, there might even be a better chance that Blake James would be forced out before Manny Diaz would be if Manny Diaz keeps winning. He kind of put him um, on blast. That's a, a big weeks if. Ago. Blake James, the Manny Diaz had to win more games, and and he has so far. And look, if Pitt, so they beat Pitt, there's still a game behind Pitt. But if Pitt loses one ACC game and Miami wins out, Miami's going to the ACC title game. And not to play, you know, yeah. juggernaut Clemson like the ACC title game has been the last six years. So wouldn't that be a quite a quite a turn if suddenly they're the most stable uh, of the big three programs? Wouldn't have seen that coming a year ago. Let's get to one more mailbag question. Um, I love when we get these questions where you get to tap into your TV industry knowledge. Uh, Troy in Boise says he's become increasingly frustrated with the 12 and more preposterously six day windows that it takes to announce the kickoff times for games. I have planned three trips to games this year where air travel and hotels are involved and it's infuriating not knowing what time the game is going to be. What, if anything, can be done about this on future TV deals? Why can't they be like the NFL where they flex a few games over the season but announce most game times before the season with just the networks being TVD? I think there's some of this, though, is it's, you know, we're drafting with the NFL and has a has a different model where basically CBS has one conference and Fox has another. In the case of this, I don't feel like there's as much of a of a split of sharing in the drafting system. It's it's different, right? Because you have different you have different conferences, different drafting orders. Um, there's just a lot of balls that are up in the air, you know, it's just, I don't think it's kind of the same, the same model. Also, there are way less TV windows that you're going to be doing. You basically have three TV windows and realistically, you really only have two. You have the one at 1 PM Eastern or the four, that's it. Whereas in college, people are shoehorning games all over the, all over the, the, the calendar. By the way, my TV sports beef scheduling beef is is when they schedule games that they they know there's no way the first game is going to end before the second. Like there was, I think that Virginia BYU game last week, like their game before it kicked off at seven Eastern, and then they scheduled that one to kick off at ten fifteen Eastern. It was a half hour before it was already twenty one nothing 
uh, BYU before that game came on. Yeah, I had one uh, years ago. This was not long after Swing Your Sword came out. They were, I think, in a, Washington State might have been in a bowl game. And they were in the one bowl game CBS had. And I hadn't been, like, I think I left there maybe a year earlier. And um, I just remember Adam Zucker, who I'm friendly with, but, like, they had a basketball game that was running long. And it ran over. I was like, I was like, you assholes have one bowl game, and you have a football game. This fucking fix it. And then Seth Davis is on there. I don't know what the hell he's saying? And it's like he thinks it's a joke. Hey, fuck you, Seth. You know, it's like I get why fans hate that more than anything when the game goes over long. And it's like, but I don't have ESPN nine. Yep. I don't want to go over to. To, to to Fox Weather and you know like this other channel Pac-12 I don't know that fans exists. are still better about TV, the so. uh, and I was at the game it was a Friday night Washington Stanford game that was if it wasn't for the North title like there were huge it was it was a big game and it was on Friday night on FS1 and there was like a monster truck race oh man that wouldn't end you know what was crazy about that was there was something I was on the road for Fox and there was a there was something contractually where they had to interview yeah. the winner. It just kept going. And it was like, um, this actually came up the other day in our green room because Peterson, we were talking about this. And, you know, it was like, because I don't think he knew, you know, why would he know what the contractual situation was? I shouldn't have known, but I was like, I was like apoplectic. We cannot get this game on TV because I don't remember who the guy was who won the race, but they like we really have to keep going to this. I just remember being in the press box when the they game do. Had started, and you know when you're covering a game, you often look up to see the replay, and there was a truck race. Um, no, I, one thing I wanted to say, I feel like we're recording this about as late as we ever record a a podcast, other than the national championship game, and we're both a little loopy and we we keep going on tangents. But about the to to his question, to Troy's question. I don't know why this is, but there's just a different dynamic where I believe, I could be wrong, the NFL, they may not set the times unilaterally, but basically they get the they get the last call. Like They work together with the TV networks, but at the end of the day, if the NFL wants Cowboys-Giants to kick off at 4 p.m., it's going to kick off at 4 p.m. Um, whereas the conferences will all tell you, like, well, they write the checks. ESPN and Fox write the checks, so whenever they want to play the games, they get to play the games. Um, I will give Troy a little good news, although it might not involve his conference of choice. In the SEC's new ESPN deal that kicks in in 2024, because they will now have the entire conference to themselves, they have actually said, and this could be pretty cool, that they plan to announce the first half of the season kick times in the summer. And they can do that because they can just be like, okay, Auburn, Tennessee, and Georgia, Kentucky are both going to be 7 p.m. And whichever, by the time we get to it, whichever one turns out to be the better game will go on ESPN and the other one will go on SEC Network. But obviously with these ones that you you guys at Fox and ESPN share, like the Big Ten, you can't, you just can't do that because um, it's two different networks with two different um you know, priorities and they're both spending a lot of money and they want to show the game when they want to show the game. All right. As always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. We will see you on Sunday. Mm-hmm.